Welcome back to TanakhStudy.com, the podcast program where we study Parashat Shavua, broken up over the course of six podcasts during the week. My name is Yitzchak Yat Shalom. It's my privilege to be studying the second half of Zefer Shemot with you. And we are now coming to the end of Parashat Yitro in Perak Chaf of Shemot. As I mentioned in the previous podcast, there are two versions of not only of numbering the uh, the Dibrot, or how we number the Dibrot, and two systems of Tameh Mikra for the Dibrot. But there is also a difference in ver- different versions of the Chumash in the Pasuk numbers uh, in this chapter. And that is that in the version that we, sp- that we used uh, and that we referenced in the last podcast, the Aserat Dibrot finish in Pasuk Yod Dalad. Uh, however, in some of them, it finishes in Pasuk Yod Gimel. And where is that difference? That difference really starts in Pasuk Bet. Pasuk Bet in most Chumashim is Anochi Adonai Lecha Asher Tzotich HaMertzorayim Beit Avadim. And Pasuk Gimel is Lo Yelecha Elohim Acherim Al Panai. However, in some Chumashim, those two are one Pasuk, which is a fascinating piece because not only are these two statements in one Masoretic paragraph, and thus, our suggestion that it's all the first Dibra includes the prohibition of Avodah Zarah, but also uh, they are in one Pasuk, and thus impossible really to divide up in that way. Uh, all those, of course, we did see towards the end of the Aserta Dibrot, Psukim, that, uh, that uh, were broken up into several Dibrot, such as Lotirzach, followed by Lotinaf, all of, one, all of which are in one Pasuk. Uh, but in any case, just an interesting little sidelight. And now we see the aftermath of the Aserat Adibrot of the Revelation. V'cholam, either in Pasuk Yodawad, we're going to use that numbering, or Pasuk Tervav in the other numbering. V'cholam, there are, and this passage we're going to look at, the end of Yitro, is made up of two very short paragraphs. The first is a narrative, and it describes the reaction of the people to the Revelation. And the second is a continuation, if you will, of the mitzvot that Hashem gives to Moshe, however, in a different setting and a different topic as we'll see. So the first section So all the people saw the sounds, that's interesting, and the famous Midrash Halacha that it was such a miraculous day they were seeing sounds and hearing visions the lightning the blast of the shofar that we heard about the mountain smoking and what happened? The people saw, and they moved, and they jumped back, and they stood from a distance. If you recall, back in Perakiotet, Moshe brought the people out from their camp towards Hashem, and then the presence comes down on the mountain, the smoke, the cloud, the lightning, the fire, and the sound of the shofar. Moshe's inside the cloud, and they're hearing the sound, but in the meantime, what have they done? They've jumped backwards. Now, does that mean that they were not there to hear the Aserat Adibrot that we just heard? Or does it mean that at the conclusion of the Aserat Adibrot, at that point they had had too much and moved back? In any case, Moshe, they turn to Moshe and say something. Before we go further, that says something, that something quite interesting, that Moshe is standing there right with them when this is happening. As we saw at the end of Perak Yotet, Moshe is at the foot of the mountain with the people when Hashem speaks. And he's not in the cloud, because they will turn directly to him and speak. 
So they jump away, and then they turn forward towards, we presume, towards the mountain, and they say to Moshe the following, Daber atar imanu v'nishma'a, v'ayudaber imanu Elohim pennamut. And look at the apposition. Daber atar imanu, you speak with us, and we'll listen. And listen also means we will obey. Lishmoa doesn't just mean to hear the auditory experience. It doesn't just mean the cognitive experience of understanding, but rather it also means the obeisance. Nishma'a, we will obey you. Rather than God speaking to us because we're afraid we're going to die. Now, the critical question here is, when is this being said? Is this being said after they heard Hashem saying to Moshe about bounding the mountain and Moshe's response, and then Moshe comes down, and before any of the debrot are said, they say, you go get the word and bring it to us, which would mean they never heard any of it. That doesn't seem to work with passages in uh, Parshat Ekev, for instance, and Parshat Vatchanan. Or does it mean that subsequent to hearing some of the debrot, they moved back, and then they turned to Moshe at some point and said this, maybe even after the first debrot, or the first two, however we want to classify, Anochi Hashem and the, and the issue of Avodah Zarah, which would then explain why those two debrot, or that one debrot is in the first person, to the second person, the Bnei Israel, and the rest are in the third, that Moshe speaks to them. So how does Moshe respond to this request, or demand? Vayom Moshe la'am al He says to them, don't be afraid. Now this is something, by the way, that Moshe has said to the people before, such as on the banks of Yam Suf, al God is coming to raise you up. To raise you up. That's why he's coming. And so that your, his, the fear of him should be on your face so you shouldn't sin. This pasuk needs some explanation. What is he... Uh, what is Moshe telling them? So, in, in a sense... He's making a statement that's contradictory. He says, Al tirau, don't be afraid. Hashem is doing this so that you will be afraid. So there seem to be two kinds of fear here. Al tirau means that that primitive sense of, of trembling and, and fear you don't need to have. Because you don't need to feel like God's presence here is going to kill you. God is not coming to kill you. This is sort of like what Mrs. Manoach says to Manoach. Hashem, if he wanted to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our korban. Or Gidon's fear. Both of these in Sefer Shoftim, when they had v- visions and saw God, they were afraid that they would die. <clears throat> Moshe says, you don't have to be afraid of death, because God has come to raise you up. And he's come for another reason, so that you should have his fear on your face, meaning you should have a sense of imminence of God and always be in awe of God, so you never sin. So in other words, God doesn't want to want you to die from this experience. The opposite. God wants you to live, but have the experience of having been close to Him, and therefore you will always be in awe of Him, and that will keep you from going off of the path that you're signing on to here. So it's always interesting when we have a dialogue like this, and we don't exactly know, we don't hear a, a response. We don't know what the people say. Are people going to say, okay, we get it, we'll stand there, or it's not good enough, we get a response, but the response seems to say as if everybody said their part, and now they go to the to the neutral corners. The people stood from a distance, which is where they were. 
Moshe comes to the cloud where God is. Meaning God's presence is on the mountain, covering the mountain. The mountain's covered in a cloud. Moshe goes into the cloud. He doesn't go up the mountain at all. He goes into the cloud where God is. And then we're going to get the second half of this. So these psukim uh, uh, that describe the people's reaction, uh, which is these four psukim, um, are made up of, and it's an elegant structure, are made up of a, um, a description in the first pasuk, uh, which is um, the people seeing what they saw. It's also made up of a, um, a, a statement of the people to Moshe. It's made up of a statement of Moshe back to the people, and then sort of a repetition of where the people are. If you take a look at uh, Pasuk, what we're going to call Yudal, the first of this of this quartet, it starts with They saw all of this stuff which represents God's presence on the mountain. And what do they do? They move back from a distance. Now go to the last Pasuk in the section, same phrase, and then Moshe comes to the cloud, which is where God is, which is the first half of that first pasuk. So it's about essentially the first pasuk and the last pasuk are A, B, and then B, A. What's in the middle? In the middle is a dialogue. They speak to Moshe from a distance and say, we, we're afraid of God. He's gonna, he, we're going to die from the exposure to God. And Moshe's response is, that's not the fear that you should have. You shouldn't have the fear of dying. That's not what God's coming to do. He's coming to raise you up and have an intimate meeting with you so you will always feel the awe of God and not sin. And whether or not his words are effective isn't clear because the people stay from a distance, but perhaps they stay from a distance with a new understanding of what this experience is supposed to be. In any case, it seems from here, and later we find conf- we get confirmation to, for this, that Hashem... Uh, confirms and accepts the people's pers- uh, perspective. Because now he starts giving mitzvot to Moshe in the cloud at the foot of the mountain. And the mo- notion is that Moshe will now take these mitzvot to Bnei Israel. And in a sense, we've returned back to the beginning of Perak Yotet, when Hashem was speaking privately with Moshe and giving messages to Bnei Israel. The revelation happened, and now we're going back to this mode of Moshe as the Shaliach. Why will the people accept these mitzvot? Because they've already heard Hashem and Moshe speaking in the cloud. And that experience confirms Moshe's agency. So if I, in, in Pasuk, again, Yodchet in this counting, which sounds very much like what we heard at the beginning of Yodchet. And this also sounds like the beginning of Yodchet, because there it's Atem Re'item Asherasit the Mitzrayim, you saw what I did to Mitzrayim. Now it's you saw that I spoke to you from the heavens. You've seen this experience, the, the lightning, the thunder, all of it, and you saw that I spoke to you, which means that the people either did hear some of the debrot, or at least had the visual experience of Hashem's presence and knowing they were debrot. And now Hashem starts giving other mitzvot. And these mitzvot seem to be an expansion on the first big dibra about Abu Dazarat, with the following expansion in a different direction, as follows. Lotasun iti, Elohe Chesef Velohe Zahav, Lotasulachem. 
And notice, lo tasu iti and lo tasu lachem, and in the middle of lohei chesef lohei zahav. What does that mean? Lo tasu iti, do not fashion with me. In other words, you have seen that I don't have an image. I came down to the mountain, and the mountain shook, and the mountain smoked, and there's a cloud, etc., but there's no image that you saw. And that's explicated much more clearly in Parshat Vetchanan when Moshe reminds the next generation of what their parents experienced at Sinai. So do not make Eloi Chesef Eloi Zahav, silver gods or golden gods, with me. Now with me either may mean to represent me or to be a partner with me. Syncretism. So lo ta'asu lachem. You may not make them. Now that was already banned in the Aserat Dibrot. And it sounds as if Hashem now is telling Moshe to remind the people that what they heard, perhaps directly, again, perhaps directly from Hashem, now that's becoming the beginning of Moshe's agency. So Moshe's agency begins by giving the mitzvot that they have already heard, and that's the confirmation. And then he continues. And the rest of the mitzvot here, these uh, four, the three psukim, are all about the mizbeach, how to worship God. Because, after all, we've had this theophany, uh, revelation. The assumption is that at some point during this festival to God that we were waiting for in Mitzrayim and now we're having at Har Sinai, we're going to be bringing offerings. So let's find out about them. And Hashem says, Mizbach Adama Ta'aseli. Make for me a Mizbeach of earth. It's interesting because Mizbachot throughout the Middle East are typically made of stone. So Mizbach Adamata Aseli, make it out of earth. Earth, of course, means that you can make one and then you can just knock the earth down or leave it standing and then move on and take more earth wherever the next place that you are at, which makes it easy to move, move to, for the camp to move. You will slaughter on it or in its proximity your olot, the burnt offerings, and et shlamecha, your joint of your peace offerings that people will eat. Et tsoncha vebekarecha, which allows you from the flock and from the herd, both of which they brought with them. And then he says, And this phrase is somewhat troubling, only in light of Sefer Dvarim, that is. In any place where I mention my name, where I make my name to be mentioned, I will come and bless you. And the reason it's somewhat troubling is it makes it sound as if you can make a Mizbeach wherever you want, and by mentioning God's name there, that's a place of blessing. There are no limitations where you can make the Mizbeach. A flip way of reading this is to say, meaning, any place where I make my name mentioned, which means, right now we're in Har Sinai, later on we'll be in Midbar Paran, later on we'll be in Kadesh, we'll be in different places, and any of those places where I make my name mentioned by having the cloud rest there, we'll read about that in Bamidbar, I will come and bless you, and you make the Mizbeach at that place. And now, and conceding to the reality that they're familiar with. Mizbach avanim ta'asali, if you want to make a Mizbeach out of stone, lo ten gazit, you may not build it with hewn stone. Why? You have raised your sword on it, meaning you're using metal in order to cut the stones, and the metal is also used as a sword, and you have defiled the Mizbeach. It's interesting because a Mizbeach is a place of blood. It's a place where animals are killed and the blood is put on there. 
And yet, because the cherev is also used for killing people and used in warfare, it's considered to be a violation of the Mizbeach to use it on the stones. The stones of the Mizbeach should be stones which have not felt the, the blade of a sword. And one last law that we're given about the Mizbeach. Do not go up steps to go up to the Mizbeach. That your ervah, your nakedness, should not be exposed there. Meaning, since they don't have pants the way that we have pants, uh, imagine a tunic. And if you walk up steps when your legs open, then the the uh, the ervah is is revealed at least to the stones. And we now have two statements in a row which are halachot of the Mizbeach the Mizbeach has to be unhewn stone and also has to have a ramp and not steps but also um, uh, halachot that reflect the notion and the sensitivity that the stones of the Mizbeach are as it were alive and that we have to treat them as if there's a human sensitivity to them uh, that uh, that they shouldn't be hurt in a certain way, they shouldn't be exposed to unseemly things in a certain way. It's a remarkable sort of statement about the Mizbeach and brings to mind the very famous line from the beautiful song that was written in 1967 about the Kotel, Yesh Anashim Im Lev Shel Evan, there are people with hearts of stone, Yesh Avanim Im Lev Adam, there are stones with the heart of man. Uh, referring, of course, to uh, brutal warriors and, of course, the stones of the Kotel. Uh, and so here we get this uh, this um, uh, sense of the stones of the Mizbeach that will be built as taking on human characters, or more critically, we having to adopt a sort of a sensitivity to them as if they are human. So in these two paragraphs that we've seen that complete Parshat Yitro, the first of it sets up really the rest of the of the experience of Matan Torah. Those four psukim, uh, again in our count, Yudal through Yudzayin or Tedvav through Yudchet, um, represent the pivot point from the public revelation back to the private revelation to Moshe, which is then to be given to Bnei Israel, which will be through the rest of the desert. And it is because of the people's experience that that is the model that then becomes uh, the the system of communication. And then in the next four, in the next five psukim, we have the command uh, regarding taking the experience that they've had, and as a result of that, understanding that they should not make any images and confirming that the Dibra that they heard, uh, the Diber that they heard, Lota, Selah, Hafezel, etc., confirming it by having Moshe repeat it to them, and having them now understand that that is the result and the consequence of the experience they've had at Sinai, and the last three psukim focusing on the Mizbeach, on the nature of the Mizbeach. And it seems to be that the ideal here is a Mizbeach of Adama. And a Mizbeach Adama is one that's very easy to move. You don't have to pick up and go, you just march on and make another one wherever you are and as a result of that so any place where I make my name to be mentioned I'll bless you there and just set up a Mizbach Adama you want to build a Mizbach Avanim you have to treat the Avanim as if they are like people and therefore with that kind of sensitivity this has brought us to the conclusion of our study of Parashat Yitro next week we will begin our study of Parashat Mishpatim and just a word or two about Mishpatim most of Parshat Mishpatim is exactly what the word says. It's a law code. Uh, 
And we'll be looking at the law code as a law code. The end of Mishpatim, perhaps the last two podcasts that we do, will be of a different sort, but most of it is, is a law. And these are all the laws that, at least from Shutosh Mikra, were given at the same point, meaning the words that we just read, Hashem lo tigalei ratchalav, is not the end of Hashem's message to Moshe, because the next words are ve'elam mishpatim Hashem tosim lefnehem. What we need to do at the very beginning of the first podcast is to connect this end of the this piece of the revelation of Hashem to Moshe and the first mitzvot he gives him in the cloud about the mizbeach and connect them then ahead to the mishpatim that we'll read about in the law code. In next week. In the meantime, we should have a wonderful day and a Shabbat Shalom.